Welcome to the third season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Nora met Leon Goat when he was playing in a band in Nashville, Tennessee. The couple married, and although they were poor, they did their best to give their eight children a great childhood. Shirley was the first, born in 1941, and was the apple of her daddy's eye. Shirley attended high school in South St. Louis, Missouri, and always dreamt of becoming a nurse, but instead dropped out and went to work in a restaurant and then a bar. There she got into a fight with a woman over a man. Shirley took a bullet and lost an eye. Shirley was attractive with blonde hair, a perfectly straight nose, and lips painted bright red. She had a personality that easily attracted men. In the 1960s, she met and fell in love with Paul Hawkins. They married and had four children, three girls and a boy. Shirley took a few nursing courses, but never did become a nurse, but managed to find work as a nurse's aide in local hospitals and nursing homes. By 1969, Shirley filed for divorce. But she still loved Paul, and they reconciled, remarried, and gave it another shot. Discovery TV's Evil Lives Here depicted how, one day, Shirley made brownies. When her daughter Norma picked one up, Shirley slapped it out of her hand and said they were for Paul. Then she put a brownie on a plate and served it to him. Soon after, he got really sick and ended up in the hospital. Doctors told him he had been poisoned with rat poison. When he recovered and returned home, Norma saw her father open up the doors under the kitchen sink and rifle through things. Then, Paul moved out. Shirley locked the doors and kept her children inside. She nailed the window shut, and when she left the house, locked the phones away and locked the doors from the outside. Her children were prisoners. One day, her son couldn't take it anymore, picked up a heavy object and hurled it through the window. The glass shattered. Shards dropped to the floor. He crawled out through the gaping hole. With his backpack clutched tightly, he headed off down the road. But didn't get far before Shirley spotted him and ordered him home. Back under lock and key, she exacted her revenge on all of them and made sure to strike them with an electrical cord where their teachers at school wouldn't see the marks. In the spring of 1977, 
Shirley married Daniel Nall, and he made her the beneficiary of his life insurance. But things got rocky, and by late December, Daniel confided in his brother David that Shirley had filed for divorce, although they continued to live together. Daniel changed the beneficiary on his life insurance to David with the understanding that the money would be given to his children from his first marriage. Soon, his health took a turn for the worse. Before they could celebrate their first anniversary, Daniel passed away. His cause of death was listed as heart disease and alcoholism. Daniel's brother David was suspicious of Shirley and begged the medical examiner to look deeper, but they refused. David filed for his brother's life insurance and was shocked to find out the beneficiary had been changed to Shirley just weeks earlier. David disputed this and it went to court. A handwriting expert testified that Daniel's signature had been forged and a judge awarded the insurance benefits to David. In 1981, Lloyd Allen was living with his parents in St. Peter's in his two-story brick house. With his wife deceased and his parents aging, he doted on them. He worked as a quality control analyst for a company that manufactured heating and cooling equipment, was outgoing, well-liked, and would help anyone. Lloyd was a big man with short dark hair and sideburns. When he smiled, it was broad. His rosy cheeks rose up like round apples. In May, Lloyd's mother was hospitalized with cancer. During a visit to her, he ran into Shirley. After her passing, he and Shirley began dating, and soon she quit her job. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported, the couple were inseparable and spent their days at his place. Lloyd was head over heels in love with Shirley, and the couple were married in September. Six months later, in February 1982, Lloyd spent $11,000 on a truck for himself and another $11,000 on a car for Shirley. She wanted him to get disability insurance on them, but Lloyd laughed. It wasn't necessary. He'd never missed a day of work. But to ease her fears, Lloyd changed the beneficiary on his life insurance to Shirley. But Lloyd had spoken too soon. He became ill, very ill. At first, he thought it was just a cold, but his body just couldn't fight it off. He lost weight and spent days in bed. A month later, he was still sick. His usual jovial self was gone. His best friend and boss, James, noticed that particularly on Monday mornings, Lloyd showed up for work and appeared to be in a stupor. James knew he didn't touch hard liquor and asked him about it. Lloyd told him he wasn't feeling well and pulled out a bottle of pills and said Shirley had gotten them for him from the doctor. James noticed there wasn't a prescription label on the bottle. 
Norma and Lloyd were the only two in the house who drank coffee. One morning, they filled their cups, and Norma was about to take a sip, when without warning, Lloyd knocked the cup out of her hands. The ceramic mug shattered into pieces, and coffee spilled onto the floor. Shirley heard the crash and appeared in the doorway, demanding to know what happened. Lloyd told her there was something wrong with the coffee. It had gone bad. Without saying a word, Shirley spun on her heels and left. Norma suspected her mother had put something in the coffee, but said nothing to Lloyd. She feared for her safety and for his. It was a cold day, and a big storm was on its way. Shirley was sitting reading a newspaper article, telling readers to be careful with antifreeze because it could kill animals. Shirley turned to Norma and her younger sister Paula and ordered them to go to the store to buy antifreeze. Days later, Paula whispered to Norma that she saw Shirley pour antifreeze into a drink for Lloyd. Norma thought she must be mistaken, but Paula insisted. She took Norma's hand and guided her to the kitchen. Hiding around the corner, they could see Shirley. She reached into the fridge, opened a can of pop, lifted the jug of antifreeze, and poured some into the can. The girls knew their mother was up to something, and it wasn't good. But they had no way of telling anyone. The phones were locked up, and they didn't dare say anything at school. They knew what would be waiting for them at home. They had no choice but to wait and see what happened. Over the next few months, driven by greed, Shirley didn't care if her children saw her. She poured antifreeze into pot, beer wine, and cold medicine, then gave it to her husband. In early April, Easter was approaching, and Lloyd was looking forward to the long weekend. As he left work, he told James he'd see him Monday morning. Lloyd went home and became sicker by the day. He didn't return to work and weeks later was hospitalized. James called his home many times, but was always told Lloyd couldn't speak with him. At the hospital, Lloyd wasn't permitted calls or visitors, but James didn't give up. Once his phone call accidentally got through, and he was shocked to hear his friend. Lloyd sounded dazed and incoherent. As his boss, James received monthly reports from Lloyd's doctor, and every month it would say the same thing, that he was suffering from generalized weakness, but expected to be back to work in a month. Lloyd's neighbors were used to seeing him outside tending to his yard and noticed he stumbled around and his heavy-set strong frame had lost a lot of weight. When they tried to strike up a friendly chat, Lloyd stared at them as if trying to comprehend 
what they were saying. Shirley informed the neighbors that Lloyd had an inoperable brain tumor. One day, a neighbor stopped by Lloyd's garage to retrieve a wheelbarrow he'd lent him. Lloyd told them that the doctors didn't know what was wrong with him, and the neighbor suggested he should get a new doctor. Just then, Shirley walked around the corner. She never said a word, just sat down. Two weeks later, she filed a trespassing complaint against the neighbor. Lloyd and Shirley had been married 14 months when she called a lawyer's office to request medical release forms for her husband and insisted she needed them immediately. Then she called their insurance company to ask if Lloyd's life insurance would cover their mortgage payments. Five days later on Halloween, Lloyd was too weak to get out of bed on his own, so Norma went to help him. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw her mother come in and pick up a baseball bat. In one quick swing, she struck Lloyd across the back. He fell on the bed. His eyes rolled back in his head. Norma screamed they needed to call 911. But Shirley snapped, no, and ordered her out of the room. As she neared the doorway, she heard her mother mutter that she would see him dead before he got better. The next day when Norma and Paula returned home from school, Shirley calmly announced that Lloyd was gone. Not a tear in her eye. Norma didn't believe her and went flying into the bedroom. Lloyd was laying on his back with a pillow resting on his face, dead at 40. Shirley entered and threw a heated blanket over him and waited two hours before calling an ambulance. When paramedics arrived, she told them he'd just passed. But when they leaned him on his side, they saw blood pooled on his back. Shirley refused an autopsy and quickly arranged for his funeral and didn't bother to invite his immediate family. Shirley returned home and went on with life like nothing had happened. Meanwhile, neighbors contacted the sheriff's office and said they suspected Shirley of killing Lloyd. Two investigators paid Shirley and her daughters a visit. Sitting down, they politely asked the girls questions. But Norma and Paula knew from the stern look on Shirley's face that they better not say a word. Before leaving, one of them slid his business card across the table. Norma and Paula were on pins and needles, wondering if they would be next. Later, when they were sitting at the kitchen table, Shirley told Paula she was taking her on an errand and they left in a hurry. Norma couldn't believe it. There, sitting on the counter, was the phone. In her haste, her mother had forgotten to lock it up. She found the business card and entered the number. 
Court records revealed that she told the detective that she had the substance that Shirley had been giving to Lloyd. Norma was terrified. How quick could they get to the house? Would they make it before her mother returned? When detectives arrived, Norma took them to the kitchen, reached into the cupboard, and pulled out a wine bottle that contained antifreeze. She told them that she had seen her mother poured into Lloyd's drinks over a period of months. Shirley was arrested, and Lloyd's body was exhumed, and test results indicated that his body was saturated with ethylene glycol, an ingredient commonly found in antifreeze. When the media reported on Lloyd's death and Shirley's arrest, it rang a few bells. Her ex-husband Paul contacted police to tell them she had tried to kill him with poison. And David contacted police as well to tell them that he suspected Shirley and his brother Daniel's death. A year and a half after Lloyd's death, in April 1984, Shirley went on trial in front of a judge and jury. Dressed in a tan and white dress and wearing sunglasses, she took the stand in her own defense. She denied slipping antifreeze into Lloyd's drinks. On that fateful day, she claimed Lloyd had woke up at 3.30 a.m. vomiting, but insisted he didn't want to go to the hospital. The prosecutor asked her about the life insurance policy, but Shirley claimed she didn't know how much it was. Among those testifying against her were her daughters, Norma and Paula, and the insurance company and lawyer's office. Her lies didn't fool the jury. 42-year-old Shirley was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison with no parole for 50 years. In prison, Shirley's good looks disappeared. Her eyes glared in anger. Her cheeks became hollow and her lips puckered. She served 14 years before dying in prison. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Lindsay Buziak. She was a young realtor about to meet a new client. The possibility of earning a commission on a million-dollar sale was exciting. But Lindsay's instincts made her question it. How did the woman get her private phone number? If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, 
we be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murder20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.